many years ago when I was uh, still a university student, so it is many years ago, I went to the beach with some friends. Uh, we went down to, to Long Reef Beach and I can still picture the day. It was a perfect day. Uh, the sun was shining brightly and there was no wind and as Long Reef has a habit to be, it was just like crystal clear, glassy water. Hard, not, not a great surf. But we, we were there having fun, um, went for a swim and mucked around. And then when it came time to leave, I couldn't find my car key. And, you know, being the 70s, I had a nice pair of board shorts that had a Velcro pocket. And um, I had put my key in my pocket and it wasn't there. So I told the others and we traipsed up and down the beach, you know, trying to find the key. I was worried about thinking I'd have to go home to um, a house at, at um, Kalani Heights, find, another, find the other car key, get someone to ride, drive me back to Long Reef, pick up the car, and I'm just thinking, oh, what, you know, what a mess. And then one of the guys said, why don't we pray about it? I thought, well, that's always a good idea. So we prayed, and then we continued to look, and... Uh, believe it or not, this girl Claire found the key in about a metre of water on the bottom, on the sand, because it was so clear you could actually see the, the key and uh, she picked it up and found it. So how do you think we felt, or how do you think I felt particularly, but everybody as well, because I'd given a few people a lift and they're wondering how they were going to get home. We were overjoyed. We high-fived each other, you know, um, I think we might have even rem remembered to thank God, <laughs> but we were we were you know we were overjoyed of finding finding that key, and I want you to hang on to that little story as we look at the the stories that Jesus tells um, in Luke chapter 15, where he is uh, he's still on the road. Remember, we've been going with Jesus. Um, he's still on the road going towards Jerusalem, and. Uh, Along the road, there are more and more people who are joining him. So it's like getting a bit of a crowd that's following. And there are all sorts of different people. Uh, some might, you know, come and listen and, and, and then go. Others are staying with him for longer. But there are different groups of people. And we are told in this, at uh, the beginning of this story, that there was a, a bunch of people who were called tax collectors and sinners who were following Jesus along the road. So not just the religious leaders, but this group called tax collectors and sinners. Uh, what an what a, uh, interesting bunch to put together. Tax collectors, we know the stories, don't we, of, of, um, of Levi, who, who was a tax collector. Also Zacchaeus, who Jesus is going to meet along the road to Jerusalem in a couple of chapters. Um, tax collectors were, were wealthy, but they were ripping off their fellow countrymen. Sinners were not wealthy. There's a, there was a, a class of people who were called sinners just because of their station in life. The Pharisees had lists of these prescribed professions that were unclean and, and the people were sinners. But then there were also those who were immoral, who, were, who had broken God's moral law. So you've got immoral people who are sinners uh, poor beggars, uh, people of low class who 
the religious leaders classify as sinners and then you've got the tax collectors who are kind of like the others are the down and outs, they're the up and outs uh, and they're just bunched in together and Jesus is actually spending time with these people and that attracts the attention of the religious leaders. Chapter 15 verse 1. Now tax, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We've already heard Jesus tell a couple of stories about meals, uh, banquets, and we know that sharing a meal in the Middle East was a very important social you know, function. You, you invited people, the people who were your kind of people, and you ate uh, together, sharing that meal as a sign of... of unity and, and, uh, and friendship, you didn't just invite anybody over to lunch, you invited the, the people who um, were your specific friends or your type of people. So the, the Pharisees are recorded of being very, very uh, kindly giving away their scraps of food and their leftover food to feed the poor, but there's ne never a record of them inviting the poor for lunch. You only invited the people for lunch who were your kind of people. So Jesus is uh, eating with tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees are horrified by that. How can he eat with these people? Or more specifically, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to welcome sinners, Jesus is the one who's doing the inviting it's not that they've just come to hang around him. Jesus is inviting tax collectors and sinners to eat with him. And uh, the, the Jewish leaders of the time think that is, that is just abhorrent. So he hasn't just challenged their um, theological presuppositions, he's offended their cultural sensitivities. In every area, Jesus, you know, is unacceptable to the, to the uh, religious leaders. Offensive. It's an offence even to think of inviting people uh, like that to your dinner table. So Jesus, knowing that, or hearing that murmuring of the religious leaders, tells a story, or he actually tells three stories. The one about the uh, hundred sheep, the one about the ten coins and then the one about the two sons. So we're just looking at the, the sheep today. This is a, it's a very well-known little story, isn't it? If you've had kids or grandkids who, who you wanted to read the Bible with, I'm sure you've had picture stories of the Good Shepherd. You know, and Jesus looks all neat and tidy and he's got this fluffy little sheep over his shoulders and the sheep is all clean and pristine and the shepherd kind of walks almost across the pages of the, the storybook looking perfect. Well, I think a shepherd who was looking for a lost sheep would have been pretty dishevelled. The sheep itself would have been a mess. But anyway, you know the story and when Jesus comes, you, know, you see this picture of Jesus with the, with the little you know, sheep or lamb, the kids all say, hooray, Jesus found the sheep, you know, hooray. Um, there's a celebration. He left the 99 and went in search for the one and the high point of the story 
is the celebration, the joy of finding the lost sheep. The shepherd rejoices, the whole community rejoices, and we are told even the angels in heaven rejoice. So what does the shepherd uh, say? He says, it's recorded in verse 6, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So that's the focus of Jesus' story, of rejoicing over the sinner who has been uh, found. So the people that Jesus has been eating with and hanging around with, there is joy in heaven. Will the Pharisees recognise that? There is joy in heaven when one of these uh, persons is saved, is lost, who is now found. So the point of the story is to see the heart of God for challenging the, the hearers and challenging us today to see the heart of God who goes after the lost. He goes after even the, the one who is lost. And there's a word play here that we miss out on because of the sound of our language compared to uh, Jesus' day where one and joy actually have a similar sound. So if you look at the story, there is one lost sheep. Then there the, the shepherd uh, rejoices. There is joy for the shepherd. The community rejoices. There is joy for the community. The angels in heaven rejoice. There is joy in heaven over the one. One lost sheep, one sinner. Great rejoicing when they were found. And notice the, uh, the, the effort of the shepherd to find the sheep and then to bear the burden of carrying that sheep back uh, to his community and um, the community celebrates. So that, that, that's a kind of picture of the effort of salvation, of saving the, the sinner and it is the effort of Jesus, the good shepherd. It's his actions that is the work of salvation. It is he who puts all the effort in to save the one. And there is joy. There is joy. Jesus has done it all and he's done it out of pure joy. The shepherd did it all. He rejoiced and the community rejoiced over his effort to, to find the lost sheep and to bring it back. Now, there's an amazing truth here. Each and every one of us is precious in God's sight. God values you enough to chase you down, to find you who are lost and to bring you back. And he doesn't just do that at, at a kind of arm's length. He does that in, in a relationship that is marked by joy. He joyfully hunts you down. He joyfully seeks you out. He joyfully gave his life for you so that you might um, be, be found. And that's the point of the story. Do we see that joy? Do we enter into that joy? Hebrews chapter 12 um, verse 2 says that it was for because of the joy set before him 
that Jesus endured the cross. Have you ever thought of it that way? That Jesus joyfully gave his life. Why? Because it is you he's focused on and me. It is our salvation. And he he acts uh, out of this pure joy to bring us back. So that is, that's the heart of the story. The challenge of the story, though, is will the readers or the listeners in the first instance recognise that they too are lost? They too are sinners in need of salvation. The Pharisees, the religious people, the rabbis, the teachers of the law did not consider themselves to be sinners. But Jesus challenges these religious leaders by uh, equating them with the shepherd. He says, suppose one of you religious leaders has a hundred sheep and loses one. Now, the religious leaders would not be shepherds. Actually, being a shepherd was one of those prescribed occupations that classified you as a sinner. If you were a shepherd, you could not testify in court. You are not trustworthy. Um, Jeremiah, a a noted biblical scholar, summarises the attitude of of people to shepherds in Jesus' day with these words. He, He writes, Most of the time, the shepherds were dishonest and thieving. They led their herds onto other people's land and they pilfered the produce of the herd. So shepherds were seriously, you know, looked down on. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, which one of you, being a shepherd, who has a hundred sheep, would not go after 99? What they were expecting to hear is, which one of you who has a hundred sheep and one goes lost, gets lost would not send out his hired shepherd to go and find it? But Jesus said, which one of you will go and find it? So he's actually... Um, putting them into the same category as the shepherds. And that means that they're sinners. So that's Jesus' challenge that he's putting to them. Will they recognise that they too are sinners? The Pharisees, under no conditions, would have taken on that that, uh, task or that understanding of themselves. But... The, the way that Jesus challenges them and the, sh- the, the shock value, if you like, he's, he's kind of interrupted their sensitivities yet again. And he puts the challenge to them. And really, this is a challenge that I think it needs to be put to 21st century Australia, where most people would say, I'm not a sinner. I haven't murdered anybody or sexually assaulted anybody I'm not a sinner and yeah if I've done a few things wrong that's fair enough but in the end when the scales are kind of weighed up the good's going to be you know much more it'll outweigh any bad so surely God will accept me Uh, someone once said you know "There there are no sins now there are only syndromes so if you've got something wrong, it's somebody else's fault. 
You're not responsible. You're not the one who's the, in the wrong. And it's true, isn't it? So many uh, people who we, we, uh, we know, it would be offensive for them to hear us say, you're a sinner. And this, the same challenge is the one that we have to uh, face ourselves as we see ourselves in that category. Are we prepared to see ourselves as ones who are, who are lost without a shepherd? Sorry, lost with the, who the shepherd is, is seeking out. The attitude that we have um, to our own response, our own sinfulness, is what is being challenged here and what we need to look at clearly. And Jesus says to the religious leaders, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. That's another challenge. That's an ironic statement that Jesus is using. How many unrighteous people, sorry, how many righteous people are there who have no need to repent? There aren't any. There aren't any. If you, if you uh, heard Russell's reading from Romans 4, there were, no, there were none who could work for righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. Uh, Jesus knew the Old Testament. He knew Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Each person is a sinner. And there is no one who stands on their own righteousness before God. So again, the religious leaders who are self-righteous, they think that they are righteous. Will they see um, the irony of that statement when Jesus has pointed out that they're really uh, lost sheep? They are a part of the, the, the crowd of sinners and tax collectors. They are just the same. They have no righteousness in, the, in and of themselves. So will they answer that challenge and turn to Jesus? So where does that leave us then? The point of the story is that Jesus saves sinners. Out of sheer joy, Jesus saves sinners. And if you know the joy of your salvation, then you rejoice in that truth because it is a truth that, that you own because you have experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ. Salvation is supposed to be a joyous experience from us because it's out of joy that Jesus has, has saved us. It's out of joy that uh, we as a community of, of those who are saved, rejoice together that we are Jesus' people. So how much joy do you have in your salvation? How much joy do you have in knowing that you are beloved by Christ? The, those who are the sinners who have been found share in the joy of um, the salvation. And then the challenge is to never forget that we ourselves are not 
have no righteousness in our, in our own. If you start to lose the joy of salvation, it's usually because you start to think yourself as more righteous. The Pharisees had no joy, but they thought they were completely righteous. And Jesus challenges them never to, never to uh, think that in your own strength that you can be right with God, that it is the shepherd who saves us, it is Jesus who has done it all. So as, we've, as we look at ourselves, where is the joy for your salvation? Uh, do you experience that? Are you aware that Jesus was on the road to Jerusalem for that very purpose, to bring about your salvation? so that you might uh, know that you are his and that the angels in heaven may rejoice uh, with Jesus over your salvation. What an amazing picture. What an amazing offer that, that, that Jesus gives us as Christians to enter into his joy and to know that Jesus died for me, for the one because of my need and for you because of yours let's pray Lord Jesus